John 19, uh, we, we started around verse 38. Um, last time we actually, I'm sorry, we hit 38, but I'd like to move back there to kind of run into chapter 20. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secret, secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Um, if you remember last week, I talked about when the Bible only mentions somebody in passing, people rush into the gap to um, make up stories. And so the soldiers that uh, gambled over the clothes of Jesus and uh, the one who got the robe, suddenly they, they can do a whole Victor Mature movie out of it because people have filled in. And Joseph of Arimathea has left a couple of marks in history, little glance marks in history, enough to where we know, yeah, he was real, and he was evidently quite wealthy. The, there is even a little evidence that he went, that he had a sea trade in tin. Tin was really important back then, and some of the greatest tin mines are, uh, or were in Cornwall, southwest England. And it is known that the Romans went back and forth with ships there. And so um, it is one of the better guesses that people have is that Joseph of Arimathea was actually a, a, a traitor in ten, and he did make it to England and back. And of course, then the English got all excited about that, and they decided that he took the boy Jesus with him. And there we have left all history. And, and it, would, it would have been fun, however, although I think if Jesus went on a cruise, he'd prefer Scotland. But that's just me, you know, and I could be wrong there. Um, it could be Scotland already had everything lovely and, and the English, you know, but sad and depressed. But he was very, um, there's a line here which people have read way too much in because he feared the Jewish leaders. And they're saying, oh, he was cowardly. I don't think anybody who has not lived under a repressious, or rather a repressive regime should be allowed to call somebody else a coward. Do you understand what I mean? I, I, have I been made fun of because I'm a Christian? Yes. Have, have I suffered? Well, I've had grades messed up. I've, had, I've been mistreated. I've had issues trying to stay in programs because this science program doesn't like believers. I've had that. But it's, I get to eat when I want to. You know, and I get to go to bed if I want to. And I want to go to church. There aren't soldiers and if you were, if you were here as we showed the movie about the women in Iran that are leading the churches there, remarkable ladies, um, you would have seen them in a circle whispering their prayers. In China, in some regions, um, they will not even whisper, but the song leader, the worship leader, will tell them you know, the name of the song. And they all sit there and read it silently because to sing through those paper-thin walls the neighbors may hear. If you, this is getting worse, by the way. They are tying into social media, and now they have a social score in China. And if you go to church, you are docked points. If you, you commit a crime, you're, if you don't work, you have to earn points and those points will allow you to have a job or allow you to travel from one village to the other. Uh, you have to, and, and it is nightmare. It's Orwellian. 1984, was, it, it came. It was just a little bit late. 
Uh, by the way, Google has also, and Facebook have also started trying to do a uh, social media score. And once it blew up, they said, oh, we won't do that anymore. How do we know? <laughs> Cammie and I were just watching TV last night. And my iPad from across the room, Siri, woke up and said, yes, what do you want? I'm going, well, I, I didn't say anything, did you? <laughs> you know, how did this work? We are so connected now. Maybe in one day, down the, way down the road, we'd be getting persecution. But most of us have no idea. With Pilate's permission, uh, once again, showing Pilate there's something going on in Pilate's life. He came and took the body away. Again, remember as I said about prisoners in the sermon, you would be connected with this person. Your name's going to be on the same ledger as this person. You are going to be called a known associate. You, you crime people, you know that term, right? You would be the one they go to first if there's another disturbance. If this is a risk. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who'd earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus is another one that people say, he came at night because he was afraid. The Bible doesn't say that. I think he came at night because that's when he wasn't working. You know? He was accompanied, there we, go, there we go, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Um, there's a whole lot we could say about that. I don't know how much of it is interesting to you. Um, those who prepared the body were sacrificing something because Passover was there and you're going to be unclean now because you have touched a corpse. You've been in a, a rabbi couldn't even be in the vicinity of, the, of a corpse after it had been entombed or buried. And that's why Jesus, even getting close to Lazarus, they were saying, you don't want to do that. And they used the term, he stinks, but they also kept saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, you know, you're going to be knocked off for a while if you do this. You have to go through the whole ritual purification. Joseph of Arimathea steps up, and Nicodemus steps up. And when it says they did it, to be honest, it could have been just the two of them. It is more likely that their servants did it. And servants were not slaves. These were volunteers. They worked. They got a wage. And Jews were very, very particular on how they were to be treated and given freedom, if, and not freedom, but allowed to leave if they needed to leave. I'm just saying this would have been a group, 75 pounds. What's going on? You wrap it. Um, you're, you're packing this. You pack the body with the herbs, and then as you roll, you're working the herbs in, uh, because you might have to go back in that region, that, that little area, that cave, if there's another death, and you don't want the smell of death in the year when you go in, in the time when you go in. Yes, Tim? That's an amazing question. Tim has asked, um, and by the way, Albert, you heard, had to go home, so there's no mic for Albert today. Uh, Tim has asked, if they wouldn't have done it, was there any obligation for Caiaphas and Annas and the Jewish leadership to do it? 
wow, I wish Mike Williams was in here. Is Mike in here? He's not. Um, I don't know the answer to your question, but yeah, he was a Jew, and they had the rules for the Jews are very specific about how quickly they have to be buried, even to date. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna find out because that's a, I I've never been asked that question before. Well done, you. Two points to whatever house you. I'm not gonna do Slytherin or people. Two points to Tim on this one. Um, now he's going to be put on the shelf, by the way. Once you're put on the shelf, uh, you're, you're put in a premier area. Then they'll go in. Once it's full, the next person that dies, they go in. And the first person that died, they've been in there longest, they're taken out. And then their bones are all collected and put into an ossuary, a bone box. There was a box discovered in uh, around 1990, I think it was, that... Uh, they, were, they were making a new pavement, uh, a sidewalk in, in Jerusalem, and found some stuff. And they, as they dug, there was an ossuary, a bone box, and ivory on it. It's very, obviously there was money here. And written on the side was from family of Caiaphas, high priest. Now, for about 10 or 15 years, people came at that as if it was a fake. There were many, many court cases you can track this through, and there are a couple of good books on this now. Scholarly consensus is still not one way or the other, but it is leaning toward this is real. This is legitimate, not a fake. Everything looks right. But I can remember my thoughts when I first saw it. I was thinking, you condemn Jesus to death, and we have your bones, but nobody has his. His bones went off sight. Just the thought of it. And, and I was thinking, I would, I would love to go and talk to him saying, this is what's going to happen. But it seems like he had convinced himself whatever he did, God would have to forgive them because they were the chosen. And um, that's not the way that works. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. It does seem that this was a, a matter of expedient, expediency. Um, I don't know what it means about if they would have had more time. However, this reminds me of something I saw yesterday. I was driving uh, on, uh, through Triune, if you know what that is, taking my grandson home. And there's a church there. I will not mention the, the name of the church or the denomination because I, I don't want to shame them. It was a good sign. Um, and the sign had changed on the outside and it put, we will always have a place for you here. And I was going, cool. And then I looked up at the sign. I looked down and they really meant it to be here because there was the church building. But when you're driving this way, you read the sign, you look down and there's the cemetery. And, I, and I'm going, well, that was unfortunate. Somebody might want to have actually come and driven the road to figure out the placement of that sign. But again, you know, I, 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 honest people doing, doing something nice, and then I drive along. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Merit, now, why, why is she coming now? Well... The Jews count a day from 
light to dark. So Passover is over Saturday when it gets dark. It's not Saturday anymore to them. If they use the term Sunday, it'd be Sunday at dark to them. And, and again, that can be important in some ways. Did she come because she was afraid? There's no question she was afraid. Because we, it's not like the paintings. Roman soldiers are still in the streets. The mob is still in the streets. Hateful people spreading rumors. Disciples locking stuff up. All of this is going on. I still believe that this is one of the bravest women you'll ever find in scripture. Which is saying something. A lot of brave women. I think she waited until it got dark because that's when she was allowed to work. It's Sabbath. You can't work. And so as soon as it got dark, she is out the door. She's going to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now that's really fascinating because John doesn't talk about that at all. The other ones do, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but you're supposed to already know about the stone when you're reading John. John's filling in the gaps from what from the others. He covers a couple of years of ministry. They really only cover a year and a half, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John comes and fills in some of the gaps. But I don't know if you've ever noticed that before or not, but he doesn't really talk about this. And you just walk in, oh, the stone's gone. Saw the stone had been removed. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, most likely Luke, if you want to look up that. If you want links to that, I can send them to you. Uh, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Very human. I love what happens here. So, and, and John loves the word so, by the way, which is a fantastic English term to move the action along. So, Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came with then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Did you catch that? That's hilarious, frankly. That's a lot of fun, that is. So you have young Luke. Boy, that sounded like Star Wars reference, didn't it? Sorry. I watched like two of the movies and I said, get it, I'm done. And dealt myself out of there. And if that mortally offends you, that's all right. It's not like you have a lot of friends. Um, and I, so I... <laughs> I am happy when a new Star Wars movie comes out because that means some guys get to actually talk to a girl again when they buy the ticket to go into the movie. But they, uh, and, and, uh, stop me before I keep going, people. I really should have gone to preacher school. Here comes the old guy, like me. You know, my grandsons will say, I have a race. I'm going, no, it's predetermined. I'll just give you a trophy because I'm never going to be able to outrun you. Run, run, run. But... Having a modicum of sense and caution, this disciple, Luke, stops, looks in, and sees. Way back there. <laughs> and Peter doesn't slow down, just right into the tomb. I love Peter. I love Peter. This, he's a great guy. Reminds me of somebody. I can't think of who here. The other, and I like, finally... The other disciple who'd reached the tomb first, you know, I won, I won, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, there's a parenthetical statement here. 
right? It says, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Parentheticals, there are, there are no parentheses in Greek. This was, uh, nobody had invented this. These are added later. And translators use them very, very often to indicate something which was most likely not in the text, but had been written by a copyist in the margin as an explanatory note and over the years got incorporated in. Makes a lot of sense. Most of them aren't this long. Most of them are very short. Behold. That one gets in a lot. It's just like, wow, that's in. Uh, but that's what this means, an explanatory note. And it's, it is important, isn't it, to remember the disciples are still not sure what's going on because they didn't get it. I had teachers, and they didn't mean to do this, but I had teachers when I was a boy that made it seem like those silly apostles. Seriously? You would have figured it out. I, um, by the way, I believed them. I didn't say that to my teachers. I wouldn't have done that. Later as an adult, though, I kept remembering that and looking back and going, let's deal yourself into this story. What would you have done? In every case, I can see the, the disciples and apostles had more faith than I would have had. Yeah, you got one fish sandwich, let's line up 5,000 people, would you? I wouldn't have. Jesus says, let's use the washing jugs over here and make a lot of wine. Here's a, here's a cup, go take that to the head master. Would you? Uh-uh. I would have told him I did. <laughs> Wouldn't do it. Yes, Renee. Oh, okay, I thought you were going in an entirely different direction with that. But yes, yes, very, very good. She said uh, she thinks that gives us greater gra uh, grace because that parenthetical statement, uh, they, they saw, they believed, but they didn't understand. And sometimes we don't understand. And we haven't seen. You know, there's, I get that, I do. And of course, the Bible also says, you have seen these things, but blessed are those who did not see them and still believe. We are, this is expected to be hard. Every so often, you'll get a Christian person, and they have the best of intentions. And they'll say something like, you know, the Bible is really easy to understand. And I'm going, have you read it? it? It isn't. And we took a little trot through 1 Corinthians 11. If you're not a 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, or 5th century Semite, you probably don't know what that means unless somebody who, who uh, is still linked into the Jewish community can, and understands the history can tell you about all that head covering, what it meant. It wasn't about hats and hair. It was about how we treat each other. Um, in fact, Paul even talks about, at the very end, he goes, we don't have this kind of custom with us. Uh, when he says a man, uh, it's a shame to man if he has long hair. And then he says, but we don't have a custom like that. And so he's saying, I'm using illustration. Don't beat up everybody. What did we do? Those of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s, what did we do? We beat up every guy that had anything long hair. We're silly. But under grace. <laughs> we didn't understand. We're under grace. 
And I tell you, grace is wonderful. I'm big, great. Team grace, right here. Hashtag grace. Um, they, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Uh, there's going to be some real interesting bits here. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. They didn't take care of the woman. The woman's there. Now, there's a book written, I believe in the 60s, maybe late 50s, called The Gethsemane Plot. Not the first one, but that was the one that really became a hit. It's a big seller, big seller in America and over in Britain. Uh, and there have been many like it that try to explain that Jesus didn't raise from the dead. They were all mistaken. They have different ways of doing that. They say, one, it's very possible they went to the wrong tomb. Really? I mean, how many times has that happened? Where you buried somebody you love, and the next morning you're going, where did we put them? Especially in a, in a society that, I'm not going to say worshipped, um, revered family. And family had to go to the ground of your people. Uh, it was that, remember, they even brought back the bones of Joseph from Egypt, because I got to go where I belong. There were a, a mass hallucination. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Uh, they, they kept trying all of these things. Oh, one, oh, one of my favorites, one of my favorites, is that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Just after all of his maltreatment, he swooned. That's the word they use. I love that word. Thank you for using that word. He swooned. And because they're ignorant savages back in the first century, they didn't know the person wasn't dead, so they just put him in the grave. And then later on, he woke up and was out. Hang on. Here's a guy hasn't eaten or had anything to drink in nearly three days, been beaten senseless. He's had a spear rammed in his side and nails in his hands and his feet. Then he's wrapped up in 75 pounds of burial linen, and then he wakes up fights his way out of that, folds them, because that's part of the thing, very neatly, made the bed, rolled the stone away from the inside by himself, breaking the seal, beat up the Roman guards, who then lied and said, uh, we fell asleep. If you say you fall asleep on duty, you get killed in the Roman army. If, he, if they'd said we'd been overwhelmed and beaten up by, by Jesus, they would have probably lost their job and gotten punished, but they wouldn't have died. They should have gone with that story. And by the way, that's a better story. It's a better story that Jesus, like Superman, goes, you know, and, and roughs up the guards. And Have you ever been wrapped up in anything? I had two older sisters. Don't even talk to me about persecution. Been there. I bear about in my body the marks. They'd find an old stray piece of a linoleum or carpet. And they'd say, Patrick, lay down here. I was an idiot. Okay. Roll you up. They'd leave. You're there. We're not going anywhere. If you're not on an incline where you can roll, you're bit, welcome to your life now. It doesn't have to be much. You're just, and we're done. I got out, for those of you that are worried. I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of concern out there, but I did. 
there is no answer for the empty tomb except for the changed lives of the people around it. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, would later, just, um, uh, just over a month later from this, step up in front of everybody and say, you killed the Lord Jesus Christ and he is alive and you're going to have to deal with it. Where did his cowardice go? I'll use that term. I think it's too strong a term, but I'm going to use it. Where did his cowardice go? What changed Peter? I had a sermon once called Whatever Happened to Peter. And we even turned it into like a little drama. And I remember that Dwight Coe did it for us on a Wednesday night uh, up in Michigan. But Mary, back to Mary. Men hadn't learned yet what the Jesus lesson about how to treat women. Jesus wouldn't have walked past a crying person. I know that because of what's about to happen. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, by the way, if I'm in Target, look over and go, woman, that's not considered an endearment, correct? Back then it was. It was, it was like, you know, ma'am is, is, is a weak approximation of it. It was a sign, I am acknowledging you as an individual, as a person who deserves being acknowledged. So, um, you know, dear lady might be closer to anything else in English. Dear lady, why are you crying? Can I just say that to most of us, that sounds like a stupid question, doesn't it? Angels don't have all of our emotions. They've never been human. In fact, later when Jesus ascends, you're going to see angels over there going, why are you guys still looking up? It's like the show's over. And they're going, well, Jesus. And he said, well, just go into Jerusalem. We got stuff coming. The angels aren't going to run around, cradle your head, pat you on, and say, do you need a drink, sweetie? Angels got a job to do. And so they're, they're, what is their job? I hear you cry. Okay. Uh, some uh, atheists will attack the angels in the tomb story because in some of the stories, there's one. In other, there's two. So how many angels were in there? Um, they come and go. Angels don't just sit around. They've got work to do. Why are the angels there? I think they're there to keep the Romans or the Jewish leaders from perpetuating a fraud, putting another body in there, claiming Jesus didn't go anywhere. I think they're also there to protect Mary. Not so much Peter, because, you know, what are you going to do with him? And, and Luke and the rest of them, they had, to be, uh, they had to be protected because the Romans were still out there. The mob is still out there, and mobs like the mob. So the angels are still moving about. But these two stuck around for a while. She goes, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. It is still dark, remember? Most likely at this stage. And Jesus has been brutalized. He did not come back with a pristine body. I've seen paintings of Jesus coming out of the grave, and there's just lights, whoa, and, and again, he looks like a member of the Swedish ski team. He's just so white and blonde and beautiful coming out of there with unstained garments. I'm going, uh, you don't really get it, do you? 
He was a first century Jew that was brutalized. In fact, could later on say, you see the scars? You want to put your finger in the hole? And um, so he's standing there. I don't know where they put him. This woman would, ask, would tell a stranger, he is my Lord. And she has walked by banners to Caesar, claiming he is Lord. And this woman is telling a stranger in the dark, I am here for my Lord. Have I seen such great faith? I don't think so. This is an amazing person. I don't even want to say amazing woman. Amazing person. She should be elevated in our esteem. Yes, with your hand up. Excellent, though. When he came out of the tomb, nothing. Well, if there had been, yeah, the, the, you should have. The, um, the guards fainted away, we're told. I think that was probably more for the event uh, than for the uh, haberdashery. Um, but somehow he has supplied clothing by this stage, I'm sure, because Jesus, being a devout Jew, would not have walked around in public without clothing. So I don't know where he got it. I don't think they had clotheslines back then. All right, you young people. Back in the day, well, even in Scotland, uh, we were buying our house, and it says it has a rotary dryer. Well, we all know what that means in Scotland, but Americans don't. They're all go- walking around the house looking for it. And, no, it's in the backyard. It's a post that has wires strung around it in concentric circles, or triangles, more like. And you can hang up and move it over, and hang up and move over, and that's rotary right there, so it is. And the three days it doesn't rain, works great. It does. And it's easy to know when it's not going to rain. It, it doesn't rain on the days that you put your, uh, that you, you know, you know what it's like. It's like washing a car in America. Why are you crying? At this you turned around and saw Jesus there and didn't recognize him. Thinking he was the gardener, uh, Jesus asked, why are you crying? This is a really big line though, verse 15. Who is it you're looking for? When I read scripture, I don't read a chapter in it. I read until I need to stop, and very often, most of the time, it is within verses of when I started. So I don't want to give you the impression that I've read a book and a half to, to get to this point. No, no. I, I, it is so rare for me to do that. I start reading, and I go, oh, hang on. Who is it you're looking for? That's the question. That's our question. I'm, I, I really don't like superhero movies for because physics and everything. But I really enjoyed Wonder Woman because there was a theological issue and even a solution to the theology there that we all long for. She's walking around looking at the, at the killing fields of World War I and they were butcher's fields. There's just... I could tell so many stories because family was there. Uh, And she's saying, why don't you stop this? And so she stops one great thing. We all want a God who's going to walk around the battlefield saying, well, that's enough of that. We're stopping it. Who are you looking for? 
I, uh, I was fast. I probably bored Cammie to tears on the way home talking about that. Uh, and probably bored you now, but you know, I've got seven minutes left. Brace yourselves. The, um, who is it you're looking for? I have to ask myself that question sometimes when I get angry with God. When I'm praying and what I'm praying for is not working, not happening. When I'm frustrated with something that seems intractable, it is not going to move. And I'm going, all right, God, what, what's, what's with this? I have to ask, who is it I am looking for? Am I looking for someone to swoop in and solve my every problem? Frankly, yes, but that God does not exist. And will I look for the God who is, or will I complain because I didn't get the God I wanted? Maybe you do not go through those struggles. I go through those struggles. And as I told you five and a half years ago, if you hire me, I will live my life out loud in front of you. You will hear the struggles. And get angry at God. And yet, I hear, who is it you're looking for? You're looking for Superman? No. Are you looking for somebody that will solve all your problems? Think about that, by the way. That means health problems as well. That means he won't let you eat what you want to. In stark raving terms, and then we'll move on. If you go to McDonald's, would he let you in? And would he let the anorexics inside out? They're trapped in there, pounding out. Let us out, not until you beef up. You know, and we're on the outside saying, I'd like to get in, going, no, it's not good for you. You're pre-diabetic, move on. We act like we want a God to solve all of our problems, but what we really want is a God to keep us from all the consequences of our behavior. Yes, sir. Exactly. Who should I be looking for? The God who is there. That's why the Bible talks, blessed are those who earnestly seek him. He is, and by the way, we should, we should understand he doesn't swoop in for the problem bet because the songbook he gave us, the Psalms, are more than one third of them are laments. And a couple of them never resolve most of them do at the end but we love you anyway and God is good a couple of them do not why would God give us this unless he understood this is this is what it feels like to be a human and if you follow me you're going to be in this boat sometimes woman why are you crying who is it you're looking for thinking he was the gardener she said sir listen to this brave person if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Oh, yeah. Wow. Blows my mind. And he said to her, Mary. Wow. She turned out and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, another parenthetical, which means teacher. He said, do not hold on to me. Now, actually, this is a phrase. Oh, I'll read the rest of it. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Okay, there's a whole lot in that one. First of all, that word, do not hold on to me. Ow. He's still in that body. We haven't healed up a lot in the cave. That hurts. There's also a side meaning. It probably doesn't mean this, but in Semitic language, there are layers and there's a layer that's, that basically says, I've not gone to my, you know, 
let me go, I haven't gone to my father yet, is really saying, I haven't died yet, don't kill me. As a humor. Jesus had a sense of humor, but it's very Semitic. Most people don't get it. Um, I read the Bible sometimes and laugh. I'm not allowed to tell Cammie why anymore. But I, I, there's, there's amazing humor in Scripture. But I love the fact that when he said her name, she knew. Isn't that sweet? That's kind. I'll t- somebody, um, I'll call somebody I've not talked to in forever. And as soon as I say, you know, is that John? Or is, they'll say, oh, is that Patrick? And I'll say, why? And they'll say, well, I recognize your voice. Now, I know you're thinking, right, well, you don't sound like a Tennessean. No, when I'm talking to the Scots, it's the same. I'm talking to Canada, it's the same. They've heard many accents all their lives. And I'm, it always amazes me that somebody would remember my voice. She did. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Who was the first minister? Jesus commissioned of the new covenant. Mary. Better believe it. And in a few weeks, we're going to do, um, there'll be a sermon. I'm already into mid-October, nearly late October, by the way. So, but there's going to be a bit. In the first gospel sermon, Peter goes out of his way to twice say, the women will also, old and young, will hear, have dreams and get visions. Yes. Oh, yes, it is recorded. Well, thank you. That means a lot. There are times that our streaming breaks, but I believe that the audio has kept up with every class. So if you go to fourthavenue.church, you have to spell everything out. It's not a numeral. There are no abbreviations. Uh, Fourthavenue.church, there's a podcast tab. And you hit it there, and everything is free. Uh, We refuse to charge for anything or copyright it. So it can be downloaded and used. I have gone places and heard my sermon. It's all right. It's fine. I I stole everything I got from this book. So um, when they find out, I'm in big trouble. But here she was the first one with the news. Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she's told them that he had said these things to her. And the other ones bring it up, but this one doesn't. They didn't believe her. Who had the most faith? Who was the first to, re- to arrive at the tomb? Who was the first to risk life by showing they were dedicated to this person? Talking to a stranger, calling Jesus Lord. And who was the first to spread the news? A woman. And this is not unusual if you read quietly and a line at a time rather than a chapter or a verse at a time got to take it slow. My time's away, and you've got a long holiday, and we, ha- we had quite a few people out today, didn't we? But remember those that are hurting. Do not add to that number. Be very careful. Stupid people drink and drive. You don't need to do that, and you don't need to be around people who do. Be careful. Love one another. But, uh, not here. Go away. <laughs>